Have you ever been to a high school reunion where they have those name tags and they print your name and the, and the, the yearbook photo from your senior year, you know, and you, you walk around? The reason they do that, you know, is because we've all changed a little bit. <laughs> I, I remember seeing a, a photo of a bunch of old geezers and I wondered, who in the world are all those folks? And it was my high school reunion. <laughs> they all got really old. I don't know. It's kind of hard. I think I'm glad I didn't go. But if I had gone, I, I think a lot of the conversations would have gone something like, you remember that guy who dropped his lunch tray and spilt his baked beans all over the vice principal's shoes? Or weren't you that guy who dropped your lunch tray and spilt your baked beans all over the vice principal's shoes? That's not really the way I remember it, but I don't know. God wanted to be sure that the people of Israel remembered something. And in fact, remembered two very important truths. Truths that we need to remember as well. To remember God and to live well towards others. What we often call the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments deal with our remembering God. With our worshiping Him and Him alone. The last six commandments deal with our relationships with others, with living well towards those around us. We'll look at the first four commandments this week. We're going to look at the last six commandments next week. This week we find out how important it is that we remember God. There is only one God, and He is it. Exodus chapter 20 starts with these words, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. The first two commandments identify two crucial realities. Who God is and who isn't God. Now to start, here Exodus chapter 20 clearly identifies where these commands originated. Who spoke these words? The verse begins with this statement. And God spoke all these words. That's pretty specific. And it's specific for a reason. This was God speaking to his people. This wasn't Moses just giving them some nice advice, some helpful hints for a nice life. No, this was God himself speaking to his people. To reject these words would be to reject the very God who spoke them. So it makes it pretty important. Important to listen to what he said. It makes understanding what he said and living what he said very important. So so let's take a look this morning at what it is that God said. Verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, Now that would seem to be obvious. I mean, it almost seems to go without 
saying, if it says God spoke all these words, who else would this be that is speaking all of these words? But as you go through the history of Israel as it's recorded in the Old Testament, over and over again, they forgot this single truth. In fact, if they just would have remembered this, they would have saved themselves from repeated disasters every time they forgot who is God. Every time they started worshiping idols. Every time they followed their own plans instead of God's plans. Every time it was a train wreck. It's part of the reason why we have the Old Testament. To show us that never works. And so Moses brings this word of God and the Bible brings these words of God to us. We need to understand this isn't just one God out of many. This is not just some generic belief that, oh yeah, God exists. There is a personal, specific God. One God who speaks and acts. This was the basis of all the other commandments. God is sovereign and He is personal. He has every authority in our lives because He's the one who created us. So these first commandments were designed to help the nation of Israel remember And for us to remember something we should never forget. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in earth beneath or in the waters below. The first commandment describes the exclusivity of God. There is no other. God will not share his worship with anybody. Because there is no one else who is worthy of his worship. God is above all. If he's not, he's not God. He is. And there is none other worthy of our worship. So why do we keep acting like there is? The second commandment deals with this unfortunate tendency in all humanity to try to find another God. Nothing on earth, nothing beneath the earth, nothing in the waters, Nothing above the earth. Nothing even begins to measure up to the one true God. Nothing comes close. So to worship anything else other than the one true God is a horrific mistake. It's a mistake that affects not only you, it affects generations to come. 
Verses 5 and 6 describe the impact of false worship and describes how that impact lasts not only in your life, but it lasts for generations. Now, it also describes the positive impact of worshiping the one true God that that also lasts for generations. Now, it's not that children are punished for the sins of their parents. It's not that children grow up to be believers just because their, their parents are. We all know that each and every one of us is responsible for making our own decision to follow God. But what those verses describe is something we need to understand. That once you begin that cycle of worshiping something other than the one true God, that mistake can take generations to correct. Here's an example. You, you can go to Walmart today and see this. I guarantee. Just, just go there and, and watch at the entrance and exit doors. Now, at Walmart, they have the entrance and the exit very clearly marked. They have letters that are about two feet high that it says, Entrance! And then on the other side, it says, Exit! I mean, you cannot miss them. They're these giant letters in red, right there at eye level. But you just go watch today. I guarantee you'll see this happen. You'll see somebody walk up, they'll look right at the exit sign, and they'll just keep going right on in where the exit is. Now, maybe they didn't see it. Maybe they were thinking about something else and just kind of saw a door and, and went in. That I guess that's possible. Many of them... They just don't really care. I mean, you know, it's a door. If it says exit, oh, who cares? I'm going to go ahead and go in it anyway. Or maybe they're just rebels. And they're saying, I'm against authority telling me anything. I'm going to go in that door because I want to go in that door. I don't know what it is. But you'll see this. Go to Walmart. I guarantee you'll see it. Somebody going in the exit door. But then stay just a minute longer and see what happens next. Because once one person has gone in the exit door, I guarantee you, there's going to be somebody else that follows them in. <laughs> now, again, maybe they just don't see the sign because by that time the door's open. So, you know, the sign's kind of moved because it's on the door itself. So maybe they just don't see the sign. Or maybe they say, well, they went in that door. Why can't I? It's closer. It's a lot quicker. So I'll just go in that door, too. And you can watch as long as there are people still streaming in, they'll just follow right along, going in the exit. Now, now that's just a, a little thing. I mean, you know, that doesn't bother anything other than the guy with his flat screen TV trying to get out the exit when all these people are getting in. But other than that, it doesn't really cause anybody any problem. But what if the reminder, the sign, was about something much, much more important. What if that reminder was, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, you might make the mistake of thinking, well, it doesn't really matter. I can worship whoever I want to. 
ain't going to hurt anybody else. You'd be wrong. Just turn around and look who's following you. Idol worship was so hard to get rid of in Israel. For one thing, because there were some people that grew up seeing everybody worshiping idols. It's all they ever knew. And so if you read through the Old Testament, you'll see there are periods where there are generation after generation of Israelites who are worshiping idols. Because when they look around, they say, well, everybody else is worshiping idols. Guess that's what we ought to do also. It's the only thing they ever knew. Don't make that mistake. There is one God. Only one who is worthy of your worship. Worship Him. Now, that leads to two important results that are described in the next two commandments. How to use your voice and how to use your weak. Let's take a look at the next two commandments. Verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. There are a multitude of ways to use your voice. Unfortunately, there are a multitude of ways to use your voice incorrectly. Now, we typically think about this third command as a prohibition of, of using God's name with profanity. And, and that certainly would be included, but this commandment goes far deeper than just that. In the Old Testament world, someone's name carried tremendous significance. It, it represented who the person was. Names were given to a person because folks believed that's who this person is. They were descriptive of that person's life. We still carry that same idea even in our own language. We talk about preserving our good name. Well, that comes from that very same idea of the name being more than just a way to identify someone. The name being who that person is. To misuse God's name, to take God's name in vain, it wasn't just vocally profaning the name of God. It was forgetting who that name stood for. This wasn't just about the name of God, but it was about everything that His name represents. And that's something we must never forget. Which leads to the fourth commandment there in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now the next verses, verses 9 through 11, explain how this commandment is rooted in the very fabric of creation itself. Those verses describe 
how God created the world in six days and then on the seventh day he rested, as the Genesis account tells us. And then it describes how God blessed the Sabbath day, how he made it holy, how he made it set apart. And that Sabbath day becomes a regular reminder for us of who God is. You remember, and whether you were on the asking in or the saying yes in, when you got that special date with that special somebody, maybe it was somebody that that you'd had your eye on for a while, or, or, or maybe it was somebody that somebody introduced you to, or, or, or maybe it was just somebody, I wonder if they'd go out. But, but you, you go and you ask them, or they come and they ask you, and, and, and all of a sudden the date's set. You, you remember how, how that went? <laughs> for all the days till the day came, you were finding just the perfect outfit, finding just the right clothes. You went and you got your hair done. And, you know, you, then on, on the evening of that day, you know, you just got all cleaned up, made sure you smelled good. And that was just the guys. <laughs> oh, you remember this, you know, you got all excited and you wanted to make sure everything was perfect. You, you made sure your breath smelled good. You made sure that you didn't have any spinach in your teeth. You, you try to think, well, how am I going to have this conversation? How's it going to go? You know, you, you just wanted everything to go right. But whatever you did for that first date, I guarantee there was one thing that you did. You probably remembered their name. If you didn't remember their name, the date probably didn't go that great. When was the last time you felt that way about coming to worship? When was the last time you were so excited about what God was going to do as you gathered with His people to rejoice in His presence that you couldn't wait to get here. It's not about what happens in worship. Now, now we have some wonderful music here at National Lights. God has blessed us with, with Joshua and all of his extraordinary gifts with some instrumentalists that play not one but two duets in one day. What a blessing today's been. Wonderful uh, double quartets that sing beautiful music that's been written uh, by such marvelous people in faith and Lord. We just have wonderful music here at National Heights. It's not about that. And that's some so-so preaching. We get by on that. But it's not about that either. It's not about the music. It's not about the preaching. It's not about the pew. It's not about what color the carpet is. It's not about color the walls are. It's not about whether it's too cold, too hot. It's not about whether the lights are on right. It's about worshiping God. We are here to lift His name and to praise Him. It shouldn't matter what music we're singing. It shouldn't matter whether it's out of the hymn book or off screen. It shouldn't matter whether the preacher's funny or not. None of that should matter. It's about worshiping God. And we ought to be so excited about doing that that nothing else matters as long as we are lifting up the name of the one true God.
So the Bible says remember. It says remember his name. Remember his day. Remember the only one who is worthy of our worship. Because he alone is God. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, what an extraordinary privilege it is for just these few moments. Forget about our jobs, forget about all our responsibilities for the week, or forget about all the other stuff that we have going on. Not that that stuff is not important. It is. It's significant. You understand that. But God, what a blessing it is for this moment to stand in your presence and worship you. God, help us realize just how precious that is. And this morning, Heavenly Father, It is our desire to worship the only one who is worthy of our worship. To praise your holy name. For that privilege and joy, we give you praise this day. In Jesus' name, amen.